You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hi, my name is Retzef Levy, and since 2006, I'm a faculty member at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I have more than 30 years of experience as a practitioner and an academic in using data and analytics to assess and manage risk, particularly in the context of health systems, health policies, as well as the management of safety and quality of manufacturing of biologic drugs. I'm filming this video to share my strong conviction that at this point in time, all COVID mRNA vaccination program should stop immediately. They should stop because they completely failed to fulfill any of their advertised promise regarding efficacy. And more importantly, they should stop because of the mounting and indisputable evidence that they cause unprecedented level of harm, including the death of young people and children. I personally became concerned with the vaccine safety around middle of 2021, when it became known that the mRNA vaccines cause myocarditis and inflammation of the heart. Since myocarditis is known to be hard to diagnose because it often has vague symptoms or can even be subclinical with no symptoms, it's also known to be a frequent cause of out of the hospital sudden cardiac arrest, especially among young people, I was very concerned that it will not be detected by the existing vaccine safety surveillance systems. Motivated by that, we decided to analyze the Israel national EMS data to see if there are any signals of increased out of the hospital adverse events. The analysis of the EMS calls and diagnosis data from 2019 throughout the first half of 2021, revealed some very concerning signals. We detected an increase of 25% in the calls with cardiac arrest diagnosis among ages 16 to 39 in the first half of 2021, exactly when the vaccination campaign in Israel was launched. A smaller increase was also detected in the older ages. Moreover, we also detected a statistically significant temporal correlation between the number of the Pfizer vaccine doses administered to this, to this population and the number of EMS calls with cardiac arrest diagnosis. Interestingly, we did not find any statistically significant correlation with the number of COVID-19 infections during this period of time. While this is not a proof of causal relationship, it, less, it left us very concerned, especially given the known suspect uh, clinical mechanism. And we called for an immediate thorough investigation by the Israeli Ministry of Health to investigate what are the underlying cause, causal, causal mechanisms of this observed increase, uh, increase in the cardiac arrest calls. Unfortunately, to the best of my knowledge, such thorough investigation was never conducted. By now, 
I believe that the cumulative evidence is conclusive and confirms our concern that the mRNA vaccines indeed cause sudden cardiac arrest as a sequel of vaccine-induced myocarditis. And this is potentially only one mechanism by which they cause harm. Data from UK, Scotland, and Australia replicate the data from Israel. Additional data from Israel indicates that in 2021, the EMS in Israel conducted more than 3,000 more resuscitations compared to 2019, which amounts for an increase of 27%. Two prospective studies from Thailand and Switzerland, in which vaccinees were tested before and after they received the vaccine, indicate that the rates of heart damage are likely to be significantly higher than the rates detected by clinical diagnosis. This is exactly the same uh, finding that the, the US military found in 2015 when it conducted a similar study on the smallpox vaccine. Another study from the Harvard Medical School detected in the blood of children with vaccine-induced myocarditis, an entire spike, which is another indication of the underlying mechanism of harm, but in fact has even broader implications about the safety of the vaccine, given that the repeated evidence that we have that the mRNA and the lipids are actually penetrating the blood system. And finally, autopsies of people that died close, closely after they received the vaccine indicates that in a large number of cases, there is strong evidence that the death was caused by vaccine-induced myocarditis. So presented with all of this evidence, I think that there is no other ethical or scientific choice but to pull out of the market these medical products and stop all the mRNA vaccination programs. This is clearly the most failing medical product in the history of medical products, both in terms of efficacy and safety. And we need to investigate and think hard, how did we end up in a situation that it's also the most profitable medical product in the history of medical products. Thank you for your attention. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 552 of this podcast. Today is Sunday, February 5th, 2023. And that, as he introduced himself, was Recep Levy at MIT calling for a stop to all mRNA vaccination programs that can't be supported by the science. So if the science really is what uh, we should be following, and presumably the mRNA vaccine programs will stop. But then I guess that begs the question, right? Not just what is science, but the science of what, <laughs> right? So I'll explain what I mean as we go along. It'll become clearer, but let me just say up front that so many of us thinking that science is for the experts. And then the experts tell us what the science is and what it means, but we don't actually 
double check their work. We don't think of ourselves as competent. We actually have been convinced that we are not competent. This is a very dangerous place to be. This is perhaps what Neil Postman uh, would call scientism, which is not the same thing as being scientific. So science really at its core is just a Latin word that means knowledge. So science has to do with knowing and what do we know and how do we know it and how can we increase our knowledge of the relationship between things that we know and with that uh, increase in the knowledge of relationship between the things that we know, we have something like wisdom. Now, there are different kinds of wisdom. As God's word makes clear, you have the wisdom of the world, which typically has to do with what the world values, what it's pursuing, or what, apart from God, man aspires to have and to be and to do. There's also godly wisdom. And godly wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Godly wisdom may include, but is not limited to, practical wisdom for God's people, how we then should live. But when I say it includes, but is not limited to, there's a certain order of operations, and that order of operations makes all the difference in the world, both temporally and eternally, in whether we have holistically good outcomes. Now, how would it be if we said that that kind of science is too high for us? Well, if we think that, then we won't read any books whatsoever. We won't read the Bible, for one thing, for for an especially concerning uh, possible outcome. If we think that science is only for the experts. Well, that's another way of saying that we know nothing. We resolve to know nothing and to just do whatever we're told. But in that case, if we are resolving to know nothing and to just do whatever we're told, then we are susceptible. We are vulnerable. Now, let me follow this train of thought a little bit further and take you with me, if you will permit. If we resolve to know nothing and to just do whatever we're told and to be told what to do by those who are regarded as the experts. And if those experts make at least no claim to knowing or fearing God, but also sometimes tell us that they do not fear God in many ways, both by what they do and what they actually say. If many of the experts in our day are actually hostile to Christian faith, then what sort of science do we expect them to be capable of ultimately in a holistic sense? I don't mean they can't know anything. I don't mean that they can't be knowledgeable in a worldly wise sort of a way. But what kind of good is going to come from listening to them and not double checking their work? Well, I suppose it all depends on For one, the grace of God, despite our folly, because that is foolish, (laughs) just to be very clear. But for another thing, apart from the grace of God and God double-checking their work and protecting us, the only check is the imagination, ambition, and moral character of the people who are regarded as the experts. Now, Ratzef Levy 
has a very Jewish name, and that is not a swipe. That's actually uh, perhaps significant to why he would be courageous enough, not just to do the double checking here as a scientist, but to announce to the general public. Posting this up on Twitter, the way that he is, is a call to us, the people, to stop these vaccination programs. Now, how can we do that? Little old you and me, one thing, we could just not get the vaccines or any of the boosters ourselves. If we haven't, then don't. And if we have been, stop. For another thing, we can stop the vaccination program by not allowing our children to get the mRNA vaccine and not putting our children in the care of people who would try to force them to get the mRNA vaccines or boosters. Another way we can stop the vaccination program is by talking with one another and by, let's say, for instance, playing Retzef Levy's uh, audio here shared by Daniel Payne over at Not The Bee, February 1st, uh, on our podcast. If you have a podcast, I have a podcast. You could share this podcast episode with somebody you know who is continuing to get the boosters. This guy's an expert. If that's what you need is somebody with the credentials from the respected institutions to tell you what to do, well, here's Retsef Levy. Uh, let, let him tell you to stop. But beyond that, politically, socially, we should be disempowering the people who would be more outraged that Retsef Levy dared to say what he's saying right now than they would be outraged that people are dying due to the mRNA vaccines. They're getting very sick, at least, but also in very disturbing case after case after case, they're dying. And when they die quietly and we just find out that another and another and another and another died in their sleep or mysteriously and the cause of death has not been announced yet or determined yet. Well, that's one thing. When folks who we have reason to believe uh, we know the vaccine status of die publicly, well then, <clears throat> well then, the folks who are more outraged that scientists like Retsef Levy or common people like me would say stop the mRNA vaccination, they're, they're more concerned about that. They're more upset and outraged by that. They're more protective of the mRNA vaccine's reputation than they are the people. They show their hand. They show their hand. They, they show that if they continue to claim that the science supports and even demands, we continue on with the mRNA vaccination programs. The science, as they see it, is working to a different end than the science as they had told us and as we believed. Now, we assume that science is going to be beneficial and good science, right? This is part of why you only listen to experts from uh, respected institutions, right? They have to have degrees and certifications and licenses and preferably lots of peer-reviewed papers, although Dr. Fauci has... <laughs> a lot of peer-reviewed papers 
that he is listed as the lead researcher on. And most of that was a kind of symbiotic relationship with researchers who would want their work to be noticed. And so they would ask, can we put you as the lead researcher? And he would say, yeah, sure. He wins because he's got a growing tally. That's another notch in the belt among many, 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 many. So he increases in prestige. Uh, Also, too, it's good for them because then their work gets noticed and they just kind of ride his coattails into uh, being known rather than obscure. So the whole point, right? The whole point may be based on some faulty assumptions. And here's why I say that. The whole point of getting credentials from prestigious universities and institutions is that you're writing the coattails of those organizations and institutions' credibility and trustworthiness. If those are good institutions, well, then there's a certain reasonable expectation that they're only going to put their stamp of approval on people who pass their uh, tests, those tests being not just academic, but also pertaining to character. But if those institutions actually are testing for character in different ways or along different lines, then we should know that or we should endeavor to find that out. And this is why we homeschool, by the way, because education really cannot be uh, achieved, pursued, attained, or directed apart from some attention to the formation of character. Either good character, according to God's word, according to God, or good character, according to somebody who is very ambitious. And they have a view of the world and what the vision of the good life should be that if we don't know it, their definition of good character could be very, very different than ours, right? So Retsef Levy, I'm impressed at the courage that it takes for him to say what he's saying, but him being Jewish, my mind goes to very devout Jews still, even if they're not Christians, reading the Old Testament, reading God's word, having a fear of God. If they reject Jesus as Messiah or they don't know Jesus as their Messiah, well, then they have an incomplete picture or they have a faulty picture of who God is, but they have at least half the story. They at least have the Old Testament. And in reading the Old Testament and having a fear of God and having an awareness of, oh, the schemes of Pharaoh, for instance, with regards to the Hebrews in Egypt, if they have an awareness of that, and not just an awareness that man is capable of such things, but also that God will intervene at a certain point, and he will pronounce judgment, and he will act. And you you want to be on the right side of, the, of that action. You want the lamb's blood on your doorposts and above your door when the angel of death passes over that God sends, Retzef Levy is demonstrating to my way of thinking a greater fear of God than a fear of man and what man might do to him. More to the point, how he might be destroyed professionally and have his ability to teach or to speak or to write and get published or to continue on in his professional life abruptly curtailed as a result of saying, stop immediately. But again, let's go back. I'm impressed by that, but let's go back to 
what science is. Science is knowledge. We've covered that. Also, science is good for what? It really depends on your vision of the good life. If the vision of the good life does not include limitations on what you do to other people who get in the way or who are a problem, well then, science can be good for getting people out of the way who are making a mess of things, shall we say. And increasingly, we know that science has become very uh, well-developed at nudging, at directing, or at keeping certain information away from you. Uh, Think of it this way. If all of a sudden you answer on a survey that you get your news from Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube, then what do the people who run those companies have to do to keep you from knowing what's going on in the world? Well, it's very simple. They just have to keep the news that they don't want you to know and they don't want you to hear off of those platforms. If that's the only place you're getting your information, if it's not there, then you don't get it. And if what you would do with a knowledge of current events would inform your decisions on what you do and don't buy or who you do and don't vote for or how you do or don't live, then essentially to control your access to information is to control you, which is another way of saying that you're a slave if they're very good at it. If they're very good at it, controlling what you know so that they can control what you say and they can control what you do, then you're a slave. And you might be even all the more a slave if you don't know that. It's one thing to be a slave and to know I'm a slave. It's another thing to be a slave and to not even know that you are one. If you actually, more to the point, in our day, are constantly thinking that slavery is what was abolished once and for all in the American Civil War, the Emancipation Proclamation, or the work of William Wilberforce and the domino effect that that created in the the, uh, British Empire prior to America's abolishing slavery. If you think that that is slavery, therefore we are not slaves, well then you have a rather too narrow view of what slavery actually is. Let's think about this for a moment. For one, slavery has to do with regarding someone as property. That means that their mind, body, time, attention, effort are at your command. That is to say, for them to be a slave, you are going to decide if they are your slave. You are going to decide what they do, when, how, never mind why. The why is because you want them to, whyever you want them to. And if they don't, if they won't, well, then you're going to administer penalties and negative consequences. And historically, very, very naughty slaves, when they completely disobey and refuse to obey and even rise up against their masters or try to flee, try to escape, they are either beaten or they are killed. Why would they be killed? It's very simple, because they are a bad influence. If you go and get them and you bring them back, well, you can't necessarily put them back into circulation with the other slaves. You have to eliminate them. 
Why do you have to eliminate them? Because they might influence the other slaves to rise up and to stop being slaves and to get their freedom. And so what we have to think here is if we are regarded as slaves, let's answer that question. Does it matter? If we are regarded as slaves, is that a problem? Is that bad? Is that undesirable? Is that concerning? Is that disturbing? Well, I would say it's very disturbing. Yes. But how would we know? How would we know if we are regarded as slaves? Somebody who is a good master, let's say, let's say we are slaves. Let's say that's settled because, and, and we can know, not because we are called slaves per se, but because we're treated like slaves or because we are controlled and manipulated and penalized like slaves. Let's suppose we've established that slaves can have good masters, slaves can have bad masters. I know that's a very shocking thought because we're taught to only think that slavery is always bad, only ever bad, although the ramifications that has for the people who would be our masters now, I mean, they should think about that. If we ever get wise to the fact that they regard us as slaves, they want to make us slaves, uh, they might regret that they tried to say it's only ever a bad thing. But they want it to be in our minds that slavery is only ever a bad thing because they also want us to not realize that they regard us as slaves or they dispose of us like we are slaves. If the master is looking for advice, he might ask for the opinion of a proven slave. If he's wise and he recognizes he recognizes ability and insight in this slave, then he might ask for the input of his slave. But otherwise, slaves are spoken to. They're, they, they speak when asked a question. They speak when spoken to. They don't need to tell the master what they think would be best. In fact, that, if it's allowed, if it's permitted, if it's not penalized, if it's not disincentivized, it might lead them to thinking that they know better than the master. It might lead to some very dangerous ideas that they actually should be not slaves. They should be free. If they speak as free men, but they're actually slaves, though, and then come the consequences which demonstrate that they are regarded as slaves, how terrible is that? that they're not even told on the front end, this is why you're being treated the way that you're being treated or why you're being disposed of, because you forgot your place. You are a slave. You forgot that. We need to make an example of you. If they didn't even know that they were slaves or that they were thought of and regarded as slaves, disposable as slaves, then what a sad, frightening, confusing place to be. But again, a good master, as opposed to a bad master, A good master will communicate his expectations, his intentions, his wishes, his directives on the front end. In fact, actually a good master, a wise master, a virtuous master will ask for input and will treat kindly and considerately and graciously his slaves. A bad master, not just bad in that he is unkind or harsh or cruel, 
but also bad in that he doesn't communicate his expectations effectively, clearly. Perhaps sometimes if he's especially cruel, he doesn't communicate his intentions fully, maybe out of a concern for self-preservation. I don't want my slaves to know too much because then they might become free. They might start getting ideas of their own. A bad master might withhold information and then punish the slave for not doing what he didn't know he was supposed to do or for acting and speaking in a way contrary to what the master wanted. But if the master didn't communicate that directly or clearly, again, I say that's cruel, that's mean, that's bad, that's evil, that is mistreatment. And how do we know that it's mistreatment? Because as human beings, as image bearers of the almighty God who made us all alike, we are supposed to be treated a certain way and not just any old way, not disposed of any old way. How do we know how we're supposed to be treated? Well, read God's word. Heed the spirit of God. Who would know better how we're supposed to be treated besides God who made us? Who would know how we're supposed to be treating one another better than God? But see, this is where it gets spooky because if there is no fear of God, then also too, all bets are off as to how we might expect to be treated and how we might treat one another. So I'm reading through Genesis right now. And that's one of my plans for this year. One of my commitments for this year to read a chapter of the Bible every day. Or if I miss a day or several days, to go back and listen to or read that many chapters to get back up to the present. And so, as you can tell with it being February 5th, if I'm up to date, which now, which now I am, I am in Genesis 36. I'm starting in Genesis, and I'm going to work my way through in the order that the canon is arranged in my Bible. Or I would say most of my Bibles. I have an exception or two, but... Most of them are arranged, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, so on and so forth. You go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, etc. So I'm in Genesis, so Genesis 36, I just finished up this morning. So I am on track. And by the way, let me just add, if you are looking for a good audiobook Bible or audio Bible, it's a little bit redundant to say audiobook Bible, audio Bible. Because Bible means book. So the Bible is the book. This is the book. Kind of like Jesus is the king of kings. The Bible is the book of books. Fun fact. But the Bible app that I found that was recommended to me by my uh, cousin, Micah Hirschberger. I almost said my neighbor two houses down because I, I have so many things that are recommended to me by J.P. Chavez. And it's great. It's, it's, it's a good thing. Uh, that's what I'm always ready to say on the tip of my tongue, but actually this one was my cousin, Micah Hirschberger, who is one of my most trusted advisors. Uh, the app is dwell, dwell, D W E L L. Definitely go check it out. It's really, really great. I'm really, really enjoying it. And I do audiobooks rather than reading physical books most of the time. And that's how I read so much is I can listen and I can process verbally very quickly and I can retain what I hear. This is, <laughs> this makes me a very frustrating person to say anything to <laughs> because you know, it's almost like, you know, when, when people say, oh, get it in writing, 
you know, or they don't want to put something in writing because it's too easy to remember and to go back and look at the exact wording. I don't necessarily have a photographic memory. I have whatever uh, the audio version of that would be. I have an, an audiographic memory. <laughs> but anyway, I'm up to Genesis chapter 36. And it's remarkable, actually. It is remarkable to listen to the Bible. I process much better, much more quickly at two times speed than I do when I'm reading. It's not that I can't read. I can definitely read, but I process uh, audio much, much faster, much easier. And so listening to the first 36 chapters of Genesis on double speed so far this year, I am so struck by what we learn about God's character and man and where we come from and who are we and what are we doing and where are we going. It is remarkable. I, I, I don't say you should read the Bible because that's just the good Christian thing to do. I say you should read the Bible because you will understand so much better why, why the people around you are the way that they are. <laughs> to quote Michael Scott, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Go and read Genesis. You will, you will understand better. And you won't maybe be quite so frustrated, or at least you won't be frustrated in the same way. You'll be frustrated and maybe know what to do about it. When you are frustrated about yourself, why am I the way that I am? Why do I do the things that I do? Why am I thinking these thoughts or acting this way or not doing what I ought to do? Go back to Genesis. And not just Genesis, don't just read Genesis, but start there. It's not for no reason that God gave us Genesis to read, to know in the beginning. The past is prologue, friends. But I am reading through Genesis, and I'm just having gotten through the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Isaac has just died of advanced age. But now it's Jacob and his sons, and he's got 12 of them, which is super cool. It doesn't say anything about daughters, which is interesting. I don't know if he didn't have many daughters. I don't remember that. But he had at least one daughter. And in that way, the story of what Jacob's sons do when their sister is violated by a certain son of a prominent man in Canaan. The story of what those sons do, basically tricking the men of the town into all being circumcised, because the guy who took their sister and defiled her, laid with her, then realized he was in love with her. He wants to make this right. I, I, please, can I marry her? I'm in love with her. Dad, please, can you make the arrangements. So Jacob's sons, they say, well, not unless you're circumcised. You and all of the men of the town have to be circumcised. And see, this is, this is wild stuff, really, because circumcision is a thing. But they don't have in mind circumcision being to the end of God establishing a covenant with these people who might intermarry with Jacob's family. That's not what they have in mind. They have in mind, you guys are going to be really sore. All the men of your town 
after you, if you do, right? If you do get circumcised, like we're telling you to, you're going to be really sore. And that is to say, you're going to be very vulnerable. And so the men of the town, they, they, uh, I don't know what you call it, but surprisingly, perhaps they were motivated. There was something very desirable about establishing good relations. Although this is a little, a little late, a little late. Should have thought of it before you took Jacob's daughter and defiled her. You should have thought of that wanting to establish friendly relations with Jacob's sons a little sooner. All the men of this town, they get circumcised and they are sore. And Jacob's sons go into the town with swords and they kill all the men. They kill them. Now, why do they do that? For one, it is, um, how should I say? It's a matter of family honor. It's a matter of pride. It's a matter of reputation. Yesterday morning, very, very early in the morning, I couldn't sleep because Andrew couldn't sleep, our youngest son. And so he's now sleeping in a crib for the most part, most of the way through the night, most nights now, which is great. But night before last, he decided about 1.45 a.m. that he was done sleeping and he didn't want to sleep anymore. And his crib is in his sister's room, Evelyn's room. And if he will just fuss a little bit and then go right back to sleep, we've told her, just let him fuss a little bit and go right back to sleep. If he won't go back to sleep on his own, then bring him to us and we will take care of it. On the other hand, she's just one little girl versus Lauren and I. So there's arguably half as much chance that she's going to wake him up accidentally by moving about and being up later and getting up to use the restroom, all that good stuff. So it's less likely that he's going to be woke up in the middle of the night. And so it works, but she knocks on the door, 1.45 a.m. or thereabouts, not this morning, but yesterday morning. And she had Andrew in her arms and said, he woke up, he won't go back to sleep. And so initially I said, okay, well, Lauren, what do you think? Uh, Do we have a bottle for him? We could try that. She says, no, one of us would have to go down to the kitchen. I said, well, are you willing to? (laughs) I was pretty asleep and her knees have been bothering her lately. And she groaned a little bit that uh, that's going to hurt. I said, okay, never mind. I I'll get him. And so I got up and I took Andrew to my office and I have him all wrapped up in a blanket and I'm going to hopefully get him to go back to sleep. And while I'm going to hopefully get him to go back to sleep, I decided I'm going to watch a movie. And now I'm awake, right? So I went down, advanced the coffee maker, got myself a cup of coffee. He did end up falling asleep, but now now I'm awake, right? He's he's back to sleep, but now I am awake. And I'm going to try and keep him, you know, held and hopefully he will stay asleep through the night because that's what we really want to train, sleeping through the night. If he's sleeping through the night, then we are sleeping through the night. And that's really good for everybody. But I watched a movie, right? I watched a movie I had not seen and would not watch with my wife because she doesn't like these kinds of movies. And having not ever seen it, but having something of an idea of its reputation, I'm not going to watch it with my older sons 
Andrew's a little bit of a different story if he's asleep in my lap, but my older son's not knowing what's in it. I'm going to need to watch this first, at least. And if it's not a good movie, well, then I'm not going to watch it with them. But the movie is John Wick. And if you've seen John Wick, you know the premise. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil too much. But the premise of the movie is that John Wick is a retired assassin who got out of the assassination business, the hitman business, because he got married and he fell in love and he wanted to enjoy his life and enjoy his wife and be enjoyed by his wife. And then she got sick and she died and he buried her. And the next thing he knew, a little puppy was showing up on his front porch and it was a gift from his wife who had just passed away, who wanted him to have this puppy to love and to be loved by and to grieve with after she was gone. And so now he has this puppy. And then it comes to pass in the course of the movie. He's got this very, very nice restored or maintained classic American muscle car. And he goes to the gas station to fill up and encounters some Russian mafia members, young guys. And it turns out that one of these young guys is actually the son of a mafia boss, Russian crime boss. And this young son of the Russian crime boss really wants that car. How much for the car? It's not for sale, John Wick says. And that really bothers the son of the Russian crime boss. He's really bothered by that. Whoa, I'm not used to being told no. I don't, I don't think you know who I am. I said, how much is the car? It's not for sale. Next thing you know, they go their separate ways. John wakes up and these guys have broken into his house. And they beat him and they murder his puppy and they steal his car. They get the jump on him. He's not expecting company. The dog is barking and whining and complaining like the dog wants to go out. He gets up to take the dog out and gets jumped and beaten. And they kill his dog and they steal his car. From there, he's out of retirement. And I won't spoil the movie, but let me just say, the dog is not the point. The point is not that you could get another puppy. The point isn't even necessarily that it's a really nice car. Because when he rains down vengeance on this whole Russian <laughs> crime family, the entire crime family basically like dismantles and destroys the whole mafia empire that's been built up. That it turns out he actually was instrumental. Before he retired, he was instrumental in making it possible for them to build this empire in the first place. When he goes and he destroys every member of that Russian crime family from the top down, it's the principle of the thing, as far as he's concerned, that to mess with his puppy or his car or his house or his person, that can't be tolerated. That's a corrupt thing. That's an evil thing. And really, it's not as simple as just go get your puppy uh, buried, get a new puppy. No, no, because that puppy is symbolic of his grieving for his wife, who he lost. 
There's no getting that grief back. It was a sacred thing. The point is not just to get the car back. That car is about more than just transportation. Well, so also in the book of Genesis, when we've got this story of Jacob's sons going in after having convinced the men of this town to get circumcised, then killing every man in the town. This is almost a mafia move. And it says that the fear and the dread of Jacob and his sons filled the surrounding towns. Initially, there was a thought, well, if you do that, everybody's going to come after us. Jacob's very upset. You've made me stink. You've damaged my reputation. I was hoping to have friendly relations with the people of this area. You've now made me stink to them. They're going to come after me. Now he's stuck, right? It's so interesting how the different generations here have very different ways of framing the covenant that God has made with them. But you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob preferring to maneuver rather than attack or defend even for that matter. If if they can maneuver around a problem, they would prefer to do that. And then you come to Jacob's sons and it's almost like No, we're done maneuvering. We're going to maneuver them into a position where we send a message to everybody. Don't mess with us. You can't do this to our sister and get away with it. You can't do this to us and to our family and get away with it. Pretty incredible stuff. But that is to say that that these things happen. They do. And when we realize that these things happen, and we shouldn't be surprised unless we're not getting into our Bible and reading it and studying it and meditating on why all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, it is, a, it is a very disturbing thing to realize that this is the fallen world that we live in. These things happen. And when they happen, it's really not an option to just do and say nothing. You, you kind of need to know what you're about because you might be tempted Or you might be terrified into doing nothing. To do nothing is not what we're called to. That's not what we're here for. But we're not just just supposed to do anything whatsoever. What does God want us to do? What does God want us to be about? And what does he not want us to be about? You know, I haven't gotten to it yet in my reading for this year. I have in the past, of course. But Pharaoh commanding that the Hebrew midwives kill every baby boy born alive when the people of Israel become too numerous. This is about population control. This is about curbing population growth and the birth rate. Not necessarily for everybody, but for people with certain genetics. And that also might be part of what a Jewish scientist has in mind and is thinking to himself As he looks at the numbers, he looks at the data, he looks at the fact that the mRNA vaccines are not being recalled and that this is extraordinarily profitable and that a lot of very wealthy, powerful people are continuing to push and protect the reputation of the mRNA vaccines, even despite loss of life, loss of health, loss of peace. He might be thinking that it wasn't so many decades ago that his people were being thrown out of clubs, churches, colleges, 
government positions, their own stores that they owned, their own businesses, their own homes, rounded up, put in concentration camps, required to do forced labor, experimented on, starved, tortured. And then when the food ran out, eliminated. Really, the final solution was predetermined even well before the gas chambers were being filled and then emptied and filled and emptied and filled and emptied. The crematoriums were working around the clock. That outcome was predetermined and it could have been anticipated and known and stopped if more had had the courage to say no. A lot of us are afraid to say no because if, if that's where this is headed in any measure, then to say no, you don't want to be in John Wick's position necessarily if you don't have those skills, those connections, that experience, that hardware, all of which would be mm, handy. <laughs> Even having all of that, when he says, no, the car is not for sale, that sets in motion a chain of events to say no to somebody who has no scruples, but whose vision of the good life involves taking whatever they want from whoever they want and disposing of anybody who gets in the way and says no. Well, then I think part of the reason why we don't even allow ourselves to go there in thinking that that could be what's going on here, that could be the character of this person I'm dealing with, is because that for us would set in motion a chain of events that we're not ready to initiate because we're not ready to do anything about following through with the answer being no. You say no, and they say yes, and now you've got to fight. You say no, and they say yes, and either then you're going to have to say, okay, fine, you're stronger than I am, you can have it. My apologies. Please don't hurt me. And then you've lost more than just whatever it is that they said hand over. You've also lost a bit of your pride, self-confidence, reputation perhaps. But if you say no and then they say yes, and you say no and they say yes, and you say, no, I mean it, they might just require you to demonstrate that you mean it. And that's a disturbing thought. It's a disturbing thought because what does that look like? What kind of a cost is there to that? One way or the other, whether you win or you lose, what kind of a cost is there to that? I would flip it around and I would say, what kind of a cost is there if we keep on saying yes to these people and they keep amassing more and more and more wealth and they keep on acting towards us and one another like we are disposable slaves instruments for their pleasure and their self-gratification. What happens if we keep on saying yes? What's the cost to that? That's what you have to compare against the cost of saying no, or I said no, I mean it. Moving on, we've got a couple of other items to touch on. Speaking of saying no, as you are no doubt aware, China is flying, has been flying, spy balloons over the U.S. and around the U.S. And apparently our government knew about it. The Biden administration knew about it for several days before we did, before 
Folks in Billings, Montana looked up and said, hey, what's that? And jets were scrambled. Fighter jets, Blackhawk helicopters, video was taken and pictures and all that. And when the rest of the country found out, the rest of the country outside of the Biden administration was, uh, shall we say, less than thrilled, as is uh, proper. We shouldn't be shrugging, although the Biden administration appears to be shrugging for several days. Then when it comes out, then they're trying to act like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely unacceptable. Blinken was planning on keeping it quiet, our Secretary of State here in the U.S. was planning on keeping it quiet so he could carry on with his diplomatic mission to go to China for the first time since COVID was released. Blinken was going to follow through with that trip until the public found out about these spy balloons. Several, not one, several. Did we get them all? Are there more? Maybe we should watch the skies here for a bit. Just keep an eye out. This is pretty wild stuff, but it goes back to what I was saying about no meaning no. Are we prepared to say no? When they talk of escalation, that's what escalation is. You say no, and they say yes, and you say no, and they say yes, and you say no means no, I mean no. And if they don't back off, well, you're going to have a fight. And a lot of very smart people who pay attention to these things, let me just tell you, a lot of the experts, if you need experts, you don't regard me as an expert, you don't feel comfortable coming to your own conclusions on these things without experts, a lot of experts are saying that the U.S. and China will probably be at all-out war in the next two years. So China flying spy balloons over the U.S. to do surveillance and us not shooting those spy balloons down is irresponsible at best, traitorous and treacherous at worst. Let me just say that. Let me, let me just be very, very clear. These things are not built and sent out because they don't deliver value. They're built and sent out because in order to wage war, you have to know where the enemy is, what their capabilities are, where to strike. That's why you collect intel. That's why you send out scouts. That's why you send up balloons. That's why you send out spy planes. That's why you put up satellites to know where you're going to attack or where you might be attacked from that you would defend and make attacks on you or counterattacks on you ineffective. Democrat Republican Senator John Tester announces hearing to demand answers on Chinese spy balloon. I hope that that's not just for appearance's sake. I hope that they're willing to actually get to the bottom of it and act. Action is needed. What's that uh, Elvis Presley song? Not that I listen to a lot of Elvis, but what, what was that Elvis song? A little less conversation. <laughs> a little more action. In other news, Andrew Thornbrook over at the Epoch Times reports secret CCP overseas police station in NYC closed after reported FBI raid. So it's not just spy balloons. It's also the CCP establishing police stations. Why would they be establishing police stations here in the U.S., you might ask? Maybe because they think that they own the place. Maybe because they have plans and designs to set up shop here and to actually rule over us here in the U.S. TikTok is a big uh, point of controversy 
because of its capacity, an app's capacity to surveil you, collect sensitive information on you and your children. If your kids have it on their phones, get them to take it off. There are a couple ways for us to get TikTok out of the U.S. One is to convince big tech to stop being cooperative with the CCP. Another way is for us to stop cooperating with big tech when big tech is allowing TikTok to stay up on the app stores. But what was I saying about what kinds of chains are fashioned for us without us even knowing that we are being enslaved or are regarded as slaves? These headlines need to wake us up to the fact that we are being enslaved or we are enslaved. We need to wake up before it's too late. If it's not too late. Moving on. Nebraska Democrat wants to ban kids from vacation Bible school and church youth groups to prove some point about drag shows. Yes, you heard that right. From Fox News, a Democrat lawmaker in Nebraska is being accused of anti-religious bigotry by Republicans after she proposed to ban children from attending church youth groups or vacation Bible school. Senate, I'm sorry, state Senator Megan Hunt says her amendment, which would ban children under 19 years of age from attending a religious indoctrination camp, is intended to kill the underlying bill, LB 371, a measure put forward by Republicans to ban minors from attending drag performances. The text of the amendment asserts there is a well-documented history of indoctrination and sexual abuse perpetrated by religious leaders and clergy people upon children. It is a tongue-in-cheek response to Republicans who have said children should not be exposed to explicit sexual content at drag shows. And this is where I would say you cannot, you cannot get around the distinctly Christian character of the United States of America, nor should you want to. We can't do it because man is not inherently good. There has to be a morality that guides and governs and mitigates more than just legislates. If that morality is not in place, the kinds of laws that we will get will be crazy laws like you're not allowed to go to the youth group. You're not allowed to go to VBS. You're not allowed to go to church camp. And what was I just saying about the CCP colonizing? This is something that the CCP would do. This is communistic. It's not just godless. It's satanic. This is communistic. Karl Marx would be proud. The people who have some sense and love life in the long run and love God now and forevermore and aspire to love God in an active way, we're not impressed. Speaking of not impressed... Ohio man who identifies as female faces charges for being naked in locker room while young girls were present. Mimi Nguyen Lee reports for the Epoch Times. This happened at YMCA in Ohio. The man in question is Darren C. Glines, 31, of Fairborn. That is to say, he's a man. How do we know that he's a man? Because he's got a penis. This happened at a YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, because the secularization is not confined to the government. It also is everywhere, in fact. It's godlessness. It's lawlessness. But the Xenia YMCA received a complaint. Hey, Glines is actually a woman, they said to one of the women that complained. The front desk staff at this YMCA, told the women who complained, no, Kleins is actually a woman. How do you know? Because 
Glines says he is a woman. I used to work for the YMCA in Highland County, Hillsboro, uh, Ohio, not far from Xenia. I am not shocked that there would be a values-neutral, quiet slipping under the rug of the C and what it stands for in YMCA. There's nothing Christian about this. What was I saying here recently about Trump vowing to revoke Biden's policies on gender-affirming care for children? I'm going to play this video for you briefly. Take a listen to Trump in his own words speaking on the issue. The left-wing gender insanity being pushed on our children is an act of child abuse. Very simple. Here's my plan to stop the chemical, physical, and emotional mutilation of our youth. On day one, I will revoke Joe Biden's cruel policies on so-called gender-affirming care. Ridiculous. A process that includes giving kids puberty blockers, mutating their physical appearance, and ultimately performing surgery on minor children. Can you believe this? I will sign a new executive order instructing every federal agency to cease all programs that promote the concept of sex and gender transition at any age. I will then ask Congress to permanently stop federal taxpayer dollars from being used to promote or pay for these procedures and pass a law prohibiting child sexual mutilation in all 50 states. It'll go very quickly. I will declare that any hospital or healthcare provider that participates in the chemical or physical mutilation of minor youth will no longer meet federal health and safety standards for Medicaid and Medicare and will be terminated from the program immediately. Furthermore, I will support the creation of a private right of action for victims to sue doctors who have unforgivably performed these procedures on minor children. The Department of Justice will investigate Big Pharma and the big hospital networks to determine whether they have deliberately covered up horrific long-term side effects of sex transitions in order to get rich at the expense of vulnerable patients, in this case, very vulnerable. We will also investigate whether Big Pharma or others have illegally marketed hormones and puberty blockers, which are in no way licensed or approved for this use. My Department of Education will inform states and school districts that if any teacher or school official suggests to a child that they could be trapped in the wrong body, they will be faced with severe consequences, including potential civil rights violations for sex discrimination and the elimination of federal funding. As part of our new credentialing body for teachers, we will promote positive education about the nuclear family, the roles of mothers and fathers, and celebrating rather than erasing the things that make men and women different and unique. I will ask Congress to pass a bill establishing that the only genders recognized by the United States government are male and female, and they are assigned at birth. The bill will also make clear that Title IX prohibits men from participating in women's sports, and we will protect the rights of parents from being forced to allow their minor child to assume a gender which is new and an identity without the parent's consent. The identity will not be new, and it will not be without parental consent. No serious country should be telling its children that they were born with the wrong gender, 
a concept that was never heard of in all of human history. Nobody's ever heard of this, what's happening today. It was all when the radical left invented it just a few years ago. Under my leadership, this madness will end. Thank you very much. start that's that's a good start (laughs) not just no but i mean no stop it or there will there will be repercussions if we're not prepared for there to be repercussions well then we don't actually mean no and what will the cost be what will the cost be to that well i'll tell you i will tell you what the cost will be if we don't get on board with some variation on what former president donald trump potential next president, Donald Trump, is saying here, the consequences will be that our children will be taken from us. They're not regarded by the left as being our children anyways. We are not regarded as being free men and free women, nor are our children assumed to be free. Their idea of liberation is that they spay and neuter anybody that they regard as unfit to breed. Their idea of liberation is to make us into eunuchs if we're not willing to faithfully serve their leftist communistic agenda. If we were wise, if we would be wise, we would go back to God's word and we would read about the mentality of those who do not fear God, what they're capable of. We are being conditioned for slavery because they regard us as slaves already. We're being conditioned for not being able to fight back when they come and try to take us or take our children off to be made into eunuchs, we should be very concerned about the loss of men's mental, emotional, psychological, spiritual, and yes, even physical capacity to fight. Because the capacity to back up your refusal with action up to and including lethal force, the loss of that ability or that willingness is part of the ability. What is the cost of that? It's a very, very, very high cost. It's a very high cost. Not just physically, not just financially or economically, not just socially. The the cost is our very souls at the end of it. A little teaser for our next episode. John Taylor Gatto is someone I'm going to introduce you to. And Lord willing, we will talk about what he had to say as someone who was a very effective public school teacher who taught in New York's public schools for decades and received awards, received national recognition. We are going to talk about what his studies, his experience, his research, his expertise demonstrated very credibly about the nature of compulsory schooling in the United States of America, the progressive model of public education. And this is why we homeschool. Ladies and gentlemen, keep an eye out, hit subscribe, share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it, but stay tuned because in our next episode, we're going to be talking through John Taylor Gatto's lecture, a short, angry history of modern schooling. You won't want to miss it. You need to not miss it. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. 
I got to get my family to church. I'm on security today. Make sure you are getting into a church that reads God's word cover to cover, believes it, doesn't edit out the parts, doesn't try to circumcise the Bible, as it were, to gain approval with the godless, like the Queen James Bible. More on that to come up in our next episode or the one after that. It's another thing we need to talk about. But I got to get to church. I got to get to church. If you're in the Greeley-Evans area, you are very welcome. But more than just coming to church, come to Jesus. Friends, come to Jesus. These are big problems. We need a Savior. We, <laughs> we need saved. We are in trouble. We are in mortal, pay- uh, mortal uh, peril, mortal danger. Uh, we need a Savior. It, it's not for no reason. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.